is from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 13. We read a portion of that chapter earlier together today. Now we're going to read all of it. It's three things really, three, three movements in the same thesis, the same theology, the same teaching, but three different contexts for it. So Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. If there arise among you a prophet or a, or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, <coughs> and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether he loved the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him, and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him, and cleave unto him. And that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. If thy brother or the son of thy mother or thy son or thy daughter or the wife of thy bosom or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely, of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the, of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be the first, upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. If thou shalt hear say in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you, and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which ye have not known. Then shalt thou inquire, and make search, and ask diligently, and behold, if it be truth, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof, with the edge of the sword. Thou shalt gather all the spoil into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city, and all the spoil thereof, every whit, for the Lord thy God. And it shall be an heap forever." It shall not be built again. And there shall cleave naught of the cursed thing to thine hand, 
that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show thee mercy and have compassion upon thee and multiply thee as he hath sworn unto thy fathers when thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep all his commandments which I command thee this day to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Okay, so three similar situations, but in three different contexts. In the, the similarity is, let's go worship another god. Right? Let's go worship another god. Now, I think some people are confused on this. I, I want to try to explain it, maybe to make it a little bit clearer. No one in ancient Israel was ever supposed to be put to death for a personal belief that another God was God other than Jehovah. I know that that sounds a little weird, but that's the truth of it. When that person would become liable to civil punishment is when that personal belief broke out into what we call uh, a, a, um, a heresiarchy. That is where they became a leading heretic, where they were leading others astray as well. Um, I say it this way to folks, and sometimes we get a chuckle, sometimes we don't, sometimes the seriousness of it, the seriousness of it is understood when I say that you are entitled to all of your opinions and false beliefs with all of the consequences of them. Sometimes those consequences are not going to be public consequences. If you believe secretly, say even as a member of this church, if you believe secretly in another God, and that is never spoken by you to to anyone else, and you don't ever lead anyone astray, I can guarantee you, you will never suffer any judicial punishment from this church. Because it's never broken out, it's never known. We don't punish for supposed opinions. It has to be something we can get our hands on. The same was true here. Notice, first of all, a prophet. What has this prophet done? He's spoken publicly to the people of God to draw them astray. The second was a close relative or friend, even the wife that you love so much, the wife of your bosom, right? She says to you secretly, let us go serve other gods. You can't keep that a secret anymore. That has to be opened. Now, notice that what we're not opening up here in this passage, but which was available to the people of God, is the concept of repentance. That's always available. We don't need to take this passage as the sum total of that circumstance. The assumption here is that the heresiarchs, the prophet, the close friend, or the city, that they are unrepentant in their actions. That's, uh, that's, a, um, that's an assumption in this passage. One could be the worshiper of a false god and repent in, in Israel, in every age of the church. That's who we all are, ones who started worshiping false gods and ended worshiping the true God by his grace and by his mercy. So I don't have any trouble saying that about this passage. So we have the prophet, we have the secret communication between close proximity 
relative or friend. And then we have third, a city that goes astray in its entirety. And I want you to see the wisdom that is in this passage because it is indeed very clear. This is divine wisdom. Men don't know how to do this. We learn this from God. The first thing is it, it, it's, not, it's not actionable, it's not punishable unless it breaks out into something that is open. No one is ever punished for their private and secretly held opinions. We're not mind readers. There's no such thing as hate crime. I don't care what they tell you in this nation. There's no such thing as that. No one can know whether you hate someone in your heart or not, except God and you. And then if you have given that up in witness to someone, if you've said, I hate that person or this person, that's it. The second thing is notice here in verse thirteen in, in the beginning of chapter thirteen that this prophet that wants to draw you away from the Lord, he even has lying wonders. He's done a sign and it has come to pass. Yet he speaks contrary to the true God. You don't trust the sign over the word of God. You don't trust it. It can't be done. Peter will tell us that, won't he? Remember in 2 Peter 1 that the, we have a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what, Peter? More sure than a shining robed Christ, Moses and Elijah appearing, and the voice of God booming out of heaven. More sure than that. And those were true signs. Okay? Okay, so that's the first of the, of the false prophet. Even if his false sign comes to pass, and he is contradicting the word of God. He is a false prophet sent by the Lord to try you, whether you will hear the, the voice of the Lord or not. And in that, hear the voice of the Lord. Secondly, don't let your affections stand in the way. Your hand is to be first upon the person that does that. That means you become the accuser, right, in that trial whereby someone is put to death. No one's ever put to death upon one witness, but if someone said it and you heard it, that's two witnesses. Now that someone may say in the court, yes, I said it and I repent. Well, then the, the, um, there will be, we would hope, a time of respite and searching out whether that was true repentance or not or simply trying to escape the sword. And then in the third situation, notice this, and this again is divine wisdom, that... All of the spoils of the city, everything, they're all brought to the center of, of Main Street, 100 Main Street, and they are all burned together into a heap, and that heap remains there forever. Why is that? So that you don't get to profit from calling someone a heretic. Ooh, I heard this city, you know what they said? So let's go get their stuff. And then let's burn the city down. Nope, that doesn't happen. All the stuff is burned with the city. So that no one can profit from this horrible tragedy of a city in Israel apostatizing to another god. Well, you see, this is what happens when divine wisdom sets things up. There, are, there is no ancillary profiting from this. And beloved, in other Legislation. Well, this is not a sermon, so we'll not take the time to go down this road. But let me tell you this, okay? Let me give you one example. Um, I, I'm often approached by people that want to know whether or not 
if someone is divorced that they are eligible for remarriage. Now, my, my position on this is exactly confessional. I think that the confession of faith has exactly what the scriptures teach, that the innocent party can be remarried if, number one, they are not left to their own recognizance, it is irreconcilable abandonment or adultery or fornication after the contract. Okay, just like our confession says. The guilty party, hear me well, may never remarry. There have been some divines that have taught that they can. What did we learn here in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 to the end? We learn that you don't profit from sin. And so, that, that is a general equity principle. With regard to the, to the guilty party, they want, to cut, they want to bring their marriage to an end. They do something that, some sin that brings it to an end, and then they're free to remarry? No, that's not good divinity. The Bible never supports something like that. It's not how it works, biblically speaking. So I believe that we can take Deuteronomy 13, 12 through the end, and we can apply that general equity principle that by some false accusation you don't get to enrich yourself by taking a city's goods. That, that those who sin shall not profit from that sin. I think we can take that and, and we can use that to help us understand other very human situations that arise such as the guilty party in remarriage. So I hope that helps you. Uh, I believe this is good divinity when the Lord would say to us, no, 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 a false accusation will not get you the other city's stuff, right? Okay, with that then, let's continue.